In the holy name of Jesus, amen. What must I do? That's the question that we heard today. That's the question you face every day, isn't it? What must I do to get ahead in life? What must I do to have my kids listen to me and want to interact with me? What must I do to make my finances better, to make the dollar go stronger with all of this crazy inflation? What must I do to become healthier? What must I do? It's a question that you and I face every day, and whether or not you really want to admit it on some level, it's a question you ask concerning everything every little nook and cranny of life. It's because we're all worried about life. We're all worried where we are at in life. We're all worried about the future. We're all worried about our social status amongst others because we see how the world works. If you want to get ahead in life, this is what you got to do. If you want to have something happen in your life, Go to the Google, go to the YouTube, and it will tell you what you must do. We heard today from the scriptures, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you realize the majority of Christians today talk about the fact that we're saved by what we do? We're saved by our works? Well, this person died, but they were a pretty good person. They lived a good life, they lived for the life of others, but they died. They weren't perfect. The problem with this question from a lawyer is it's not what must I do, but this lawyer says what must I do to inherit eternal life. An inheritance is not something you work toward. An inheritance is something that is given to you. You can't do anything for an inheritance. I didn't do anything for my father's broken down lawnmower that he left to me when he died. It was simply given to me. Somebody else in an inheritance is doing the work when it comes to receiving it. All you do is show up for the reading of the last will and testament. But we still ask, What must I do? These parables are a wonderful example of how the kingdom of God works. And most everybody in the church and even outside of the church knows the parable of the Good Samaritan. I had a flat tire on 630 and a Good Samaritan pulled over and changed the tire for me. The life rescue helicopter in Fort Wayne, Indiana was called the Samaritan. You'd see it plastered on the side as it flew out to go take care of somebody by bringing them back to the hospital. We have taken this parable today and simply said in the church, well, you just need to take care of each other. You need to be the good Samaritan. That's what you have to do. But the problem is, is that I don't care about everyone. I don't care all the time about you. 
and you at times don't care about me and your neighbor. Why? Because I'm only in this thing called life for myself. And you're the same way. Just admit it. We live out this life with the idea of what must I do in order for me to be happy, to be entertained, to have some sort of gadget or gizmo make me happier in life. What must I do to avoid my neighbor? What must I do to avoid showing mercy and compassion to my neighbor? What must I do to present like I'm a pretty good, loving, merciful Christian when in my heart of hearts I'm not? This parable and all of the parables are not about you and what you have to do. These parables are given to us by Jesus to show us the radical nature of the kingdom of God at work for you. Jesus is the one doing the work. Not you, not me. Why? I don't want to. And you've all been there too, right? Boiling it all down. I don't want to do this. Why? Because there's no benefit for me when I have to take care of and look out for you. That's my old sinful nature. That's the way I was born. That's the way you were born. And all that we are ever doing is worrying about yourself. That's why this lawyer brings it about today. What must I do? Well, how do you read the law? Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, perfect. That's great. Go and do likewise and go and do it with perfection and you will inherit eternal life. But you'll notice kind of in typical attorney fashion, there's a follow-up question. Well, who is my neighbor? It's a question maybe you've asked. Who's my neighbor? Maybe the one that fits in politically with me. Maybe the person to the right of my house, but maybe not to the left. Maybe it's most of my coworkers, but not that one who annoys me. Maybe it's those disgruntled people, or maybe not, that you've been around. Jesus gives us this parable today, and he says there was a man who had fallen among thieves on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've been on that road. It's really not much wider than to hold a tour bus. I've never been more scared in my life looking at this dirt road going down to Jericho thinking that we were going to fall over the side of the road. It's a dangerous road. It's got a lot of cracks and crevices. It's got a lot of areas where if you were going to surprise somebody by robbing them, beating them up, it would have no problem for you to do that. This man finds himself half dead in a ditch, stripped naked of all that he had, and he's left with nothing. He's left to die. What's he going to do? What must he do? Think of it that way. He can't do anything. Why this example? If you want to find yourself in this parable today, it's not the Good Samaritan. You're the one who has been beaten, stripped, and robbed by the world and by yourself and by myself. 
When we think just about ourselves and what we're trying to do and what we're trying to gain about life, we're not doing ourselves any favors. And added on top of that, the world does the same thing to you. The world beats us down, strips us naked, robs us of what true life is all about. And in the middle of all of that, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when your sins seem too nasty that people are going to be afraid to come near you or come close to you? What would they do if they knew of your sins? Would they leave? Would they judge? What do you do with the sins of others? What must this man do? He can't do anything. And the reality is, is what he really should do is just embrace it. I can't help myself in this. I need others to help me. In your sins, in my selfishness, in all of the pain and unmercifulness that I have caused for others, I must embrace it. I must acknowledge it and open it up to the world not so that they can judge, but so that I can confess. And I'm not the only one that's fallen prey to myself or to the world. You have as well. We've done these things on our own. We've had these things done to us to where we are left to die on the path of life. Some of you have seen it. Some of you maybe not so much. But in the end, we're still asking that question, what must I do? The world has beaten me down. I've been abused, left for dead. I've got to do something. You cannot pull yourself out of this ditch called sin, whether it's been done to you or whether it's something you have done. If all of Christianity is about what must I do, what must I do in order to be forgiven and loved by God, we are sunk. This is why the law of God is given to us. The law tells you and me, you don't want to do this. You do not love God. You do not love your neighbor. And there's one of two ways that you can embrace that. One is to simply say, you can't tell me what's right or wrong. You can't tell me how to live my life. You can't tell me to do anything with my life. And by the way, I'm not even going to let the scriptures talk to me about what is right or wrong. Or you can respond to the law by simply saying, yes, I confess that this is what I have done. I've confessed that this is what I've done in rejecting God and rejecting my neighbor. What must you do? You must die. You must die. Great, Pastor. Is this some sort of weird cult now where we're going to be on the news later today? No, you must die to yourself. I'm my own worst enemy and you are the same with yourself. And the only thing that we can do by God's law and His Holy Spirit is to stamp down our old sinful nature and die to ourself. Paul puts it this way, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions 
and desires. As a Christian, it is now no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You are not your own. It's not about you and your decisions, your whatever in life. I know. That's so terribly unpopular. It goes so terribly against the grain because everything in the world is about you living your best life today and now. But yet there are those who are not even in the church that will readily admit that the world is dark. It is dying. It is evil. I watched part of a hard rock concert the other night on YouTube. I know, now I'm just a little bit lower in your eyes. <laughs> the singer went out to speak to a 12-year-old girl who was brought by her parents, and he was so amazed that this girl was brought to this concert, and he told everybody in the concert that this was a wonderful thing because by the gift of music, we are one. We are one here tonight with the music and with all the crowd. And you know what he said, why they're all one? Because he readily admitted that the world is dark and painful and sorrowful and crazy. He's not a good churchgoer, but he sees it just like you and me. And by the way, did you notice maybe in that little side story what was going on? It was a community. It was a group of quote-unquote believers who were all together there, yes, even for a hard rock concert, because they found community and unity in the music. What's going on here today? We don't find community and unity simply because we're broken in a dark and dying world and we've got nice music. We find unity and community here today because of what Jesus has done for you. He has taken the darkness. He has taken the pain and the sorrow even the things that you have caused to yourself and to your neighbor, and he has assumed these things onto himself. Yes, he takes away sin, but it's not like he puts it in a garbage bag and throws it into the dumpster. He who knew no sin became sin for you. He absorbs all of the pain, sorrow, darkness, and death into himself, and he puts it to death himself so that you could live. Anyone who loves their life, he says, will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Boy, that's kind of hard, Pastor. Absolutely. You are not your own now in your baptism. You have been crucified, buried, and resurrected with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been given his name that is above all names, and as we go about this life, what must I do? Die. Die to your sins daily. Confess your sins. You have been put to death in holy baptism, confessing I am dead. There is nothing that I can do to revive myself. I am a victim of evil. I shouldn't have gone and done things that I said or done. And others have found me, including myself, 
and beaten me down, here I am. This community, the community with all the flaws and scars and everything else, does not gather around the Lord Jesus Christ to tell you and go and be a good Samaritan. This is not a program here today about self-betterment. He simply takes us out of death into his life. You were dead and now you are alive. The Lord simply picks you up and carries you into this place for healing and living. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why you're here today. Because you have been wounded. You've been scarred. And you need healing. And the healing is not a one-trick pony. It's not a thing of I'm going to show up today and come back in two weeks or three months. We fell into the ditch. We keep falling into the ditch called the world. But I think it's important to notice one thing. The Good Samaritan, the rescuer in the parable today, doesn't even ask questions. Hey, bud. How'd you get into this mess? What happened? He doesn't ask that. Doesn't ask that whatsoever. The half-dead man doesn't give an explanation. Well, I was coming around here and they attacked me and next thing you know, I'm unconscious and now I'm waking up. We're not even told that they speak to one another. The Good Samaritan, the Lord Jesus Christ, simply goes into the ditch and lifts this man. He lifts you and me and brings him along to be healed and brought back to everlasting life. Not only that, he foots the medical bill. Jesus lived and died and goes down into the depths of the grave to rescue you and me even though we face death, and he brings us up into his life and resurrection through his own resurrection, and that is yours here and now today. And every day, life is rough, it's dark, it's painful, it's deadly. But the Good Samaritan, the unsuspecting one, the Lord Jesus Christ, continues to walk the path of life with you. And when you stray, he continues looking and pursuing you, searching the half-dead people who are in need of healing. And he will return to heal those perfectly on the last day. But even then and now, he leaves you this place. This is the inn. This is where he leaves you, not to fend for your life, but he sets up before you as the ancients would call the medicine of immortality. The word of God spoken into your ears, the washing and regeneration of baptism, and the feasting on his body and blood for the forgiveness 
and strengthening of your faith. He does this so much, and it's so important to him, that he continually pays for it, and he tells those to continue to be about it. And he will return to you week in and week out, day by day, to make sure those wounds are cleansed and bandaged by going back to your baptism, dying to yourself, and rising with him. Look around and rejoice in this community today. You're not a member or a number. You're family. Several of you, most of you, have been broken, battered, and beaten by yourself and by the world. But you today are inheritors of eternal life, now and eternally. Look around, rejoice with the fellow rescuers, rescued, who have been brought from death to life. So what must I do? The sermon's about ready to end. Yay! What must I do, pastor? How do I take this today and apply it to my life? Die. Die to yourself. Rise with Christ. Heal by his wounds. He has carved you on the palms of his hand. If we are not healing, if we're not dying, you're doing it wrong. And by the way, some wounds take longer to heal than others. But Christ heals them all as your good Samaritan. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. You receive the inheritance of everlasting life. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>